From Booksmart Studios, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and I want to get into something this time that you might not think of, and you certainly wouldn't think of as taking us anywhere interesting, but actually, it does. I'm going to start small, and then I'm going to try to go big. It's going to be one of those shows we're going to jump all over the world, various languages, kind of old-school, me-hosted Lexicon Valley. And that is, you're learning a language, and you might be thinking, well, how to say apple? Good, there's going to be some word. But then it gets harder when you're dealing with what you might think of as the little words. And so, for example, how do you say two in a language? I don't mean one, two, three, four, because once again, that's easy. There'll be some word for two. But no, two as in T-O. I'm going to school. How do you say two? You think you're just going to learn how to do it. And if it's a romance language, well, ah, or something like that. But is it like that worldwide? And you know, the fact is that it isn't. Tunis, and not T-W-O, but T-O, is much more complicated than we think. It's not about the etymology. We can do that. So, you know, the language of Ukraine that became most of the languages of Europe and quite a few eastward of that, reconstructed as Proto-Indo-European, the etymology of two is a word that would have been roughly do. And so, two, you know from the spelling that it used to be to. And the original word apparently was do. And big surprise, what it meant was toward, in the direction of. Okay, fine, but there's more to the story than that. This time, it's not about the etymology. It's about how human beings express to-ness. As often as not, it's not with some word to. Really, there is a flowchart. There's a developmental process, and languages are at various points along the timeline. And the way English does it is just one point along that line. Where tunis begins is with languages that don't have many prepositions at all. Very often, tunis is indicated with a verb. And so you're talking about going in the direction of, and so tunis is indicated with whatever the word is for go. And there is no single word that would mean to instead. So what do I mean? Well, you know how in a lot of these shows I talk about a Creole language, i.e. a language created by slaves from what starts as a pidgin version of a language, and then they take what they've learned and make it into a full new language? You know how I talk about one called Saramakan? This is a Creole language spoken by descendants of African slaves who were lucky enough to escape in Suriname, down in South America, into the rainforest. And that's where they stayed, and the descendants of those escaped slaves are still there today. The language that these people speak is a combination of English and Portuguese and a couple of African languages, Fongbe and Kikongo in particular. But it really is a language of its own. It's not a version of any of those languages. And because it's the Creole language I know best, I'm going to use it the way you would say something like, he sent his child to the kitchen. You're trying to learn Saramakan and you want to know what the word for two is. And you gradually learn there's no word to. There is a word ah, but it means at. It doesn't mean to. It doesn't give you the movement. The way you say he sent his child to, for example, let's not use kitchen because I can't think of the word for that, but house. The way you would say it is he sent, so amanda, he sent, amanda, his child, hemi, his child, hemi. So he sent his child, amanda, hemi, and then to the house. And the way you would say to the house is go adiwosu. 
go to the house. Go adibosu. Now, that's not he told his kid, hey, go to the house. It's not quotative like that. The way you say very neutrally, he sent his child to the house. Amanda hemigo adibosu. He sent his child go to the house. The go is how you get the direction. So, go adibosu means to go, and then the a is just location at the house. Now, why does Saramakan put it that way? Because it was created by people who often spoke languages that also put it that way. So, for example, in Ghana, there's the language Akan. One version of it is Chui. If you know somebody from Ghana, they probably speak Chui. Chui is one variety of Akan. So, if you want to say he sent his child to the kitchen in Akan, the way you say it is Osoma, he sent. Osoma, he sent his child, Nebano. So, Osoma Nebano, he sent his child to the kitchen. Kogyatse. The ko, once again, means go. It doesn't mean to. Kogyatse is go kitchen. He sent his child, go kitchen. That's the way you put it. Or, actually, another example of this is Mandarin. When you're learning Chinese, you think, well, how do you say to? And you gradually learn that the way you say to is to use the words for go or to or to get to. There is no word that just means to. So he sent his child to the kitchen. I'm brave enough now that I'll do it. So he, you say he, the child, sent to the kitchen. He, the child, sent to the kitchen. So taba heidze, he, the child, taba heidze, and then sent to the kitchen. Kitchen is chufang. So what we're going to say is Tabahaiza and then sent is song dao. So Tabahaiza song dao chufang and song is the send and dao means to get to. There is no word to in that. So he, the child, send, get to kitchen. Tabahaiza song dao chufang. I still don't feel comfortable doing that. But then again, I can just imagine how hideously I messed up the tones in the tweet. So those languages are tonal, but that's not the point. They don't have two. When language starts, there are no prepositions, for example. You start with nouns and verbs and then adjectives come. That seems to be the case. And so when you start out, tuness is about some verb that means going somewhere. That's how many languages do it. So Chinese is not alone. Many languages in East Asia and certainly in Southeast Asia do it that way. There is a nice clump of languages in West Africa that do it that way. That's kind of step one. Then our way of doing it, where we have this little strange clipped word two that means going somewhere, that's the next step. And Proto-Indo-European was already there. You can reconstruct that there was this word do. Now, you can know. You can just know. We will never know exactly what word it was. But do would have begun at some point earlier than Proto-Indo-European. As some verb, it probably meant to go or to arrive. And it got shorter and it became a piece of grammar. It's this process called grammaticalization. And that's how you get the little complicated words. And so the starts, for example, as that. It's something that's much more robust. That's how these things work. If you say walked, that ED probably started as the word did. So it's walk did, and after a while you're saying walked to oversimplify it slightly. Two would have started probably as something that meant go or get to. But here we are now. And because of the rhythm of these shows, it's time for a song. 
And you know what? I'm not even going to pretend. I just happen to be thinking of this song. This is late Cole Porter. I've always wanted to use this on the show and never got around to it. This is from Silk Stockings, which is one of Porter's last shows. We're way into the 50s now. This is Don Amici singing. For those of you who are maybe my age or older, Don Amici from the old movies, after a while he did Broadway. This is called As On Through the Seasons We Sail, cut from the movie. And so if you're a fan of the Silk Stockings movie, you don't know this one. But I always thought this was pretty. It's frankly not perfectly rendered here because Don Amici was only so good a singer and RCA's recording technology at the time was modern, but it doesn't sound good. It kind of sounds like he's over in the next room singing very loudly. Nevertheless, this is the only recording of this song I know. This is As On Through the Seasons We Sail, and I just think it's pretty. So here we go. Baby, I love you, oh, I do, and this I'll prove to you, as on through the seasons we sail. Remote from crazy crowds, we'll float above the clouds, as on through the seasons we sail. When we are man and wife, I swear to make our life a revolutionary fairy tale How sweet our song will be Once we're in close harmony As on through the seasons we sail So what's next? You've got this two. Well, what happens next is that this two is gonna get sticky. And so when things become a piece of grammar, after a while, they often tend to start sticking on to bigger words around them. So what starts out as a free word, a fish swimming around, becomes a prefix or a suffix. That's a very normal process. And that's what happens with two-ness. That's the next phase. English doesn't have that many suffixes. We're actually not as unlike languages like Chui and Chinese as we often think. But for example, let's say that in German, somebody says, trust nobody over 30. <laughs> that's some old German politician I'm imagining. So, okay, is over 30. That's trust. So it's just the kinem that's a little confusing for us. Kinem. Let's think of kind as like the body part, the, the nobody. But what's the m? Mm? The m mm is to, because in German, you don't trust someone. You trust to someone. So, kinem übertreisig. So in that word, you trust to somebody, but there's no word to. The to-ness is in that suffix, m. Mm. It's this dative suffix. Let's jump over to wonderful Russian. And so remember, if you're my age or older, remember Ronald Reagan trying to speak Russian and he was trying to say that in terms of you know the nuclear arms treaties and things that apparently in Russian there's this aphorism, trust but verify. And he said, well, as they say in Russia, Mr. General Secretary, though my pronunciation may give you difficulty, the maxim is dovayai no provayai. Trust but verify. <laughs> well, it's that trust word, dovayai, that we can have here. So trust nobody over 30. If somebody says that in Moscow, then it's nikomuna dovayai starshetritsati. Starshetritsati is over 30. Nidovayai, that's the Reagan word, dovayai. And so nidovayai, don't trust. 
Nikomu don't trust over 30. Nikomu is the nobody. And the u at the end of Nikomu, again, that's the tunis to oversimplify slightly. But there's no word to here. Russian, you know, has a word to, and so does German. These are European languages. But as often as not, the tunis is indicated with a suffix. It's part of getting a sense of how you actually express yourself in those languages. And sometimes you can even see from the arbitrary little ending, the m in German or the u in Russian, you can see that it was to. Sometimes there's still a relationship between the word for to or something like it and the prefix of the suffix. So, for example, in Hungarian, I think this is the first time I've used Hungarian on this show because I really profoundly don't know it. I'm deeply ignorant about Hungarian. If I see white people speaking a language and I'm in the elevator and I'm listening and listening and I can't get a word, not a single word, usually if I do find out what it was, it turns out that it's Hungarian. I just have no blessed idea. But I do know that if you're going to say to me, to you, to us in Hungarian, then you say, for example, felling. That's to me. Felling. The m is me. Fel is the tunis. So felling. To you. Feled. That's to you. Or to us. Felenk. So the enk, that's the us. Enk, that sounds like you dropped a fork. Enk, that's the us. Felenk. The fel is the two. And it's just this, you know, hunk of stuff. These, this is one word, felling. But actually, fell now, listen to me saying it so Englishly, fell. But then again, I don't know what a Hungarian accent is. I'll just, okay, I'll make it up from Zsa Gabor and her sister. So fell, fell, that now <laughs> means half. And it also meant, back in the day, it meant side, as in, for example, my side, this side. That was the tunis. And so felling, felled. Yeah, I'll do Eva Gabor from Green Acres. Okay, so, Felen, Felen, Oliver, Feled, Felenk. That's to me, to you, and to us. And you can tell because the Fel is still a word that means something in the language. By the way, if you want a bonus segment, and this time you just know what the bonus segment is going to be about, it's going to be about from and little interesting things about from. If you want to hear about from, and probably not in Hungarian, but in various languages, you have to subscribe. It's great to listen in, but you have to subscribe if you want to hear a tag at the end, just like with Green Acres, where the story ends, and then there's this little tag where if somebody says something like, well, now everything is back to normal. If you want that for this show, you have to click on Lexicon Valley and subscribe at booksmartstudios.org. Go there, click on Lexicon Valley, and you get the final segment where you know, Oliver and what was her name? Liza are sitting at a table talking about what just happened over the past 20 minutes. So you've got and if you are a German speaker, you know, the m means to I mean, you're not going to put it that way, but that's what it means. But after a while, the ending can just get so glommed on, so old, so different from anything that it doesn't even qualify as an ending. It's just stuff. For example, in English, here, okay, if I'm sitting here, hither. Hither means come to here, right? Or there. Well, go thither, if you're inclined to talk that way. So notice there's a ther. Hither, thither. 
Apparently, that ver means to. We never think about that. And it's not only because we don't use those words, because even if we did, we wouldn't think of ver as meaning to. We know that hither means to here, thither means to there, but the ther is just some little bunch of stuff. We can be quite sure that it used to mean to in a clear way to people, but it certainly didn't when people were using hither and thither and certainly doesn't to us. Or in German, to go a little bit into the weeds, I is ich, me is mich. And so I love, and so ich liebe, and then mich is me. And so she loves me. Sie liebt mich. But to me is mir. And so it's this thing that ends in R, mir. By mir bist du schön. To me, you are pretty. By mir bist du schön. That's what that means. And also for you. So du is you. Dich is you as an object. Dir is to you. No German would think of re as meaning to. It's just that the pronouns have that shape. And so the tuness means that you use these r pronouns. And that's just the way it is. And so we've gone from some verb that means to go to just some bit of stuff at the end of something or at the beginning of something where nobody knows what it means and nobody even thinks of it as part of the show. And then this can go even further in some rare cases. It can get to the point where it's not something where someone like me who's obsessive can tell you it's an ending. It's just completely arbitrary, utterly nothing, that the two-ness is now just itself and there's no pattern. It's not that there's a hither and a thither. It's not that there's a mere and a deer. It's just, you know, some shit. And so, for example, you know to go to the Caucasus Mountains, and there are actually three language families there that include some of the most complicated languages in the world. The one that makes it into the shop window is Georgian, but there are a bunch of others. One of them, one of my favorites, is called Hinaluch. You could say Kinaluk, but Hinaluch, just the name of it is great. Spoken by a few thousand people way up in some mountains somewhere, and goodness, it's complicated. And so, I, me, and to me. So in German, you get something like ich, mich, and mir. And then there's du, dich, and dir. You've got patterns. No, in Kinaluk, I is z. Okay, fine. Me is je. Okay, fine. To me, though, is not something like yeah or something like that. To me is asur. Asur. Has nothing to do with the z, has nothing to do with the yeah. Asur. That's what to me is. So that's as if, like, I was and me was cuckoo and to me was just completely arbitrary. That's how far it can go because all these changes, certainly it began with some verb people were using up there in those mountains, eating yogurt and cultivating goats or whatever they have up there. But now you have pronouns that can be that arbitrary. So doing it just with verbs. And so he sends his child go to the kitchen. That's the first stage. As in, that's often the way a language does it when language starts again. And there are various languages that are at various stages of that starting again. There are people who think that Chinese and also those West African languages are ones where, for example, adults learn them a lot 
and made things less gunky and needlessly complicated than languages normally are. And of course, Creole languages, because they begin as pigeons and then are built back out, are like that as well. Very often, they have that verb way of indicating two-ness. They put verbs in a series. Creolists often think that I'm wrong about Creole languages starting with pigeons. There's a big controversy. Go back to one show I did about it. It was one of my favorites. But you know, the ones who think I'm wrong are are misunderstanding me. And that leads me to think of a song that Genesis did in 1980. And yes, there actually was a song called Misunderstanding. And I really liked it for arbitrary reasons of its arrangement, etc. And, you know, it reminds me of being 19 or 20. And frankly, my life in most ways sucked when I was 19 and 20. But because of neurochemistry, it feels nostalgic now. This is Genesis's Misunderstanding. I don't know if people love this song the way I always have. But it reminds me of the sweetness or whatever it was, of the early 1980s. It doesn't have to be about direction. And so you ask, you know, how do you say two? But what you often don't know is that once you learn how to do two-ness, it's not going to just be about walking to the kitchen. And so, for example, as often as not, the two-ness extends metaphorically to being about feeling. And so it's cold in many languages. The way you say that is it's cold to me. So to go back to German, because we've already learned the mir, that's to me, ist mir kalt is to me cold. It's cold to me. That's very often the way to goes. And that's not so exotic because even here in English we have, for example, to me, and when we say that, we're not talking about somebody walking towards us and poking us in the chest. I mean, to me, as in my feeling is, to me, it's better if they're bald cooks, for example, to take a kind of natural sentence. So to me, it's better if they're bald cooks. And so that's a kind of to-ness. Or, and this is my favorite to extension that you get in some languages, to-ness can be about obligation. If it's to you, it's something that you have to do. It's to you. Russian, you have, I still need to clean up. The way you say that in Russian is, okay, is still, and the is to me. So, to me still, and then ubiratsa, that's to clean up. To me, still clean up. And that means I still need to clean up. It's to me. It's on me. I still have to clean up. That's the Russian way of doing it, but not as exotic as we might think from English. Because think about the expression, what's it to you? 
Why does it matter to you? Which is an extension of the obligation. And so, for example, underrated show. If you like the Golden Girls, well, they did it again in the 20-teens. The show Hot in Cleveland. And Betty White was even in it, although now she was basically playing the Estelle Getty role. Delightful, basically, reboot of the Golden Girls with you know lots of guests from older sitcoms that all of the women in the cast had been in before. Delightful. Six seasons. It came. It went. And yes, I saw every one of them. And I remember one, actually, was the premiere, where the Betty White character said, well, what's it to you? Listen to this exchange. Does anyone else smell pot? What are you, a cop? No. Then what's it to you? And then, talk about exotic, English is very exotic in this, something you would never think of because of the arbitrariness of spelling. You know how there's also two T-O-O? That's the same thing as T-O. It comes from the T-O that means in the direction of. Too, as in too much or, you know, too strange or something like that, is as if you're saying it adds to it. There's an addition. So you go in the direction of and it's adding to as well as going to. It's this gradual reanalysis that you get. And so too, as in too much, is an extension of too, as in to the kitchen. And think about Two, T-O-O. It's three things. It's excess. So, too darn hot. You know, more cold porter. Don't worry, I won't play it. So, too darn hot. Or, it's addition. So, for example, him too. So, him in addition. That's different from too darn hot. So, it's excessively hot, but then him in addition. Then it's also contradiction. It is too. Similar to, for those of you who know French, see, or for those of you who know German, doch. We have it in English. We just don't use it as much. And so, too is all of those things. And if you go to any other language, one thing that you have to learn, whether it's conscious or not, is that all three of those meanings are expressed in different ways. The excess and the addition and the contradiction are going to be completely different words. And so you have two going in a direction. And then in our language, you've got the same word extended to all three of those things. The only reason we don't think of it as the same thing is because they happen to be spelled differently. But if you roll the dice again, we would think of two as having four meanings, you know, in the direction of, and then those three that T-O-O has. And then let's not even get into the feelings and the obligations. As you see, two-ness is life itself. So see how complicated it is to add ask about some language. How do you say two? Because often it's not just about a word, despite what English, with its shyness of prefixes and suffixes, leads you to think. And two-ness in general is about much more than we might think. By the way, of course, with the Russian examples here, they are all checked carefully with my sweetie. And if any of you were wondering, given that she had some illness during the last time I did this show, well, she is now okay. If you'd like to leave a comment or subscribe, please visit booksmartstudios.org. Our producer is, as always, Mike Volo. Go to booksmartstudios at gmail.com for questions. Every two weeks, I answer two or three questions in writing. And it's lots of fun. It's like school. But in order to have access to that, you have to give us a little bit of money. And our theme music was created by Harvest Creative Services. I, as always, am John McWhorter. John McWhorter.